0: Welcome to Pop Culture Rx, part of Hackensack Meridian Health's award-winning podcast. Pop Culture Rx is where we sit down with a medical expert and talk through various health-related topics circulating in today's media. In our discussions, you'll hear from a variety of professionals sharing insight and advice on these newsworthy conditions. This is Pop Culture Rx. Earlier this month, actor Ashton Kusher revealed that he has vasculitis, a disease that left the actor unable to see, hear, or even walk for a period of time. Today, I'm here with Dr. Anna Broder, a rheumatology specialist with Hackensack Meridian Health, and she's here to talk us through what is vasculitis and what our personal risk might be. Thanks for being here, Dr. Broder. Good to be here. Thank
1: you for inviting me. Vasculitis is a condition that causes inflammation of the blood vessels, which is the Latin name, the itis is inflammation. And while there are a lot of conditions that could cause inflammation in the blood vessels, like infections, viruses, even uh, coronary artery disease, the vasculitis that we're talking about is an autoimmune condition, meaning that it's caused by the immune system attacking the blood vessels in the body. And so it's a multi-organ disease that can affect any organ in the body because all the organs have blood vessels that supply blood
0: to them. Yeah, obviously. So, so that's what vasculitis is. So what could some of the symptoms be? Because vasculitis causes inflammation
1: of the blood vessels, it could really affect any organ and present with any number of non-specific symptoms. So any inflammation can cause fevers, fatigue, weight loss, and affect any organ system. So for example, it could affect the eyes, the hearing, the sinuses, the heart, the lungs, uh, any organ system. And so in every person, vasculitis can present very differently. It also depends on what blood vessels are involved. And many kinds of vasculitis target specific blood vessels. So we think of vasculitis in terms of affecting the large vessels. Those are the vessels that that are in our chest and um, supply blood to the head and the the heart. So uh, that kind of vasculitis would present with headaches and sometimes shortness of breath and vision changes. And then there is medium vessel vasculitis that affects our gastrointestinal tracts, the kidneys, the genitourinary tract, and can present with the symptoms that cause pain and discomfort and sometimes failure of those organs. And then there's small vessel vasculitis that affects the smallest vessels in the body, and it could affect any number of organs, including um, skin. It causes rashes or ulcerations. It could cause, again, kidney disease, so smaller vessels in the kidneys. It could cause high blood pressure, neurologic problems because the nerves are affected by the inflammation, the small vessels that provide blood blood supply to them.
0: So this sounds really awful to have. Do you find you have a lot of patients with this actual disease?
1: So fortunately, vasculitis is not a very common disease. And also the symptoms vary a lot. Some people can have relatively mild forms of the condition, where some people can have very severe conditions. As a rheumatologist, I see quite a bit of vasculitis But overall, it's not a very common disease, which makes it challenging for the primary care doctors to suspect this condition or to think about it. And then sometimes people have delays in diagnoses and present with very um, severe symptoms. And after sort of reviewing their history, we can see that they had some clues earlier on that might not have necessarily been put together as a systemic condition or vasculitis.
0: What would be some of those clues that we should probably keep our eye out for? So it's
1: really hard, but um, because like I said, vasculitis can present in any which way. However, we think of vasculitis if it's a multi-system disease. So if you start seeing symptoms showing up in multiple organs, so people... Have inflammation in the eyes, and then they have trouble walking, symptoms that you would not normally sort of associate with one another. And if they're having a lot of systemic symptoms, if the symptoms are progressing, if it's not something that could be explained by a simple infection or uh,
0: if there's no evidence
1: of cancer, that's when we start thinking about vasculitis.
0: How would you go about? you know, diagnosing vasculitis? How would you find out if you had it?
1: Vasculitis is a difficult condition to diagnose and it's really uh, based on symptoms and the progression of the symptoms and and assessing what organs are involved and really looking at different patterns because there're no there's some blood tests and there's some imaging tests that could help with diagnosing vasculitis but it's really what we call a clinical diagnosis that needs to have a high index of suspicion from a provider so uh, as rheumatologists we start with taking a very detailed history trying to recreate the timeline for the timeline for the events and see what organs are involved and then based on that think of different patterns, how these large, small, and medium vessel types of vasculitis present and see if the clinical picture fits the suspicion for a certain type of vasculitis. Once we establish that, then it's helpful for us to get additional blood tests and imaging tests and sometimes nerve study tests to confirm the diagnosis, but it really starts with uh, a very thorough Physical examination, looking for neurologic signs that even a patient can miss sometimes because they're unaware of things that are happening, um, yeah. a good eye exam, looking for rashes. Ulcerations in the mouth, these are things that can clue us in. And then blood work and imaging become sort of secondary and confirmatory for the diagnosis. Sometimes we need to do biopsies of certain organs, for example, the kidneys that mm-hmm. help us, uh, or the nerve biopsies that sometimes help us also to diagnose when the cases are uh, difficult to figure out clinically. And we need to make sure that it's not an infection because you can see similar um presentations with something, let's say, like tuberculosis, and um, it could affect the lungs in the same way. So sometimes we need a biopsy to really look and make sure it's not something else that we're missing. So sometimes the diagnosis takes a long time to establish as well.
0: Yeah, it sounds that way. It sounds like there's a lot of different steps that you're trying to rule out almost, and the end-all be-all is vasculitis. That's correct but what about treatment for the disease? Is there any way that there's you know, some relief to this or is it curable even? So vasculitis is not always
1: curable. Just like diabetes, we can achieve a good control of the condition, but sometimes we can't cure it, we can't make it go away. And uh, a lot of times people need to stop I'm sorry, you need to continue medications. And definitely because if they stop the medications, the disease can come back. Mm -hmm. But it depends on the kind of vasculitis, on the severity of vasculitis that a person has. So it's really a person by person decision where to, when to taper down the treatment and when to stop the treatment and observe. So people who present with more severe symptoms, life-threatening symptoms, they're more likely to stay on medications for the rest of their lives. Uh, people who present with mild symptoms um, sometimes can come off the medications or uh, we can um, watch and if they relapse again, then they have to be on medications uh, more long-term. But the good news about vasculitis is that in the past, I would say, 10 years, the field really took off. And this is to the credit of many rheumatologists who study vasculitis because it's such a rare disease, it's really mm-hmm. hard to conduct studies. So people really came together in the U.S., in Europe, in other countries and another in other continents to put their resources together and to share their knowledge about their patients to really come up with great treatments so even 10 or 12 years ago, there were no good treatment for vasculitis and it was a very deadly disease. And even in the last 10 years, people can uh, overcome the symptoms and have a great quality of life. So the um, so most types of vasculitis are treated initially with high doses of corticosteroids, and that helps to kind of stop the disease in its tracks but taking corticosteroids for a long time is dangerous because corticosteroids can cause a lot of problems themselves like diabetes, uh, uh, osteoporosis, cataracts, et cetera. So we start people normally on what we call steroid sparing medications. And really we have a lot of different options now. Some medications are pills, some are infusions. Some are injectable medications, So we can really tailor it to the severity of the disease and to some degree to patient preferences.
0: Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of options for a lot of relief, which is a good thing. What about prevention? Is there a way to prevent this type of illness in a normal person? Or is there any sort of risks that we should be aware of? So really, as
1: far as we know, and I think we're going to learn more, but there is no specific genetic predisposing tests that we know for sure, or any environmental exposures that we know about that trigger vasculitis. So there is really no prevention, being aware of the condition, especially for primary care physicians who are sort of the first line when people come in with these Mm -hmm. nonspecific problems and referring to the specialist, rheumatologist as quickly as possible is probably the most important step because the earlier we catch the vasculitis, the faster we can treat it, the faster we can put it into remission and avoid permanent organ damage, which is what we're trying to do. Having said that, I think we see when when people have severe disease in their kidneys and their lungs what helps them to get better is if they're healthy at baseline. So if they have a lot of conditions that complicate the vasculitis like if they already have pre-existing heart failure or lung disease or diabetes or high blood pressure that also could damage the kidneys, for example, it makes it much harder for people to recover from the vasculitis. So in general, trying to stay as healthy as possible and control other Conditions yeah. um, that can be treated is the best advice I can give at this time. In I terms feel of like prevention. being
0: healthy is kind of the best advice for anything beyond vasculitis. Just for life in general, is being healthy is just the way that you should be.
1: Sure, easier
0: said than done. Yeah. Though <laughs> <laughs> I know birthday cake is pretty good, but I did want to ask because you brought up you know genetic testing and things like that, and I wanted to s- ask if Vasculitis is hereditary because Ashton Kusher obviously has children and that would be pretty alarming to to have this disease and how it could pass on.
1: So it's a very rare condition, and as far as we know, it does not have a genetic predisposition, so we don't see that children of people with vasculitis go on to develop vasculitis. I think more studies are needed. And again, because it's such a rare disease, it's really hard to follow it over a long period of time in big groups of patients to figure out the answer. But as far as we know, it's not um, a hereditary condition. Having said that, some people are more predisposed to autoimmune diseases in general. So sometimes we see families where one family member has rheumatoid arthritis and another family member has vasculitis, and yet another family member has an an autoimmune thyroid disease, so sometimes we see this in families. But again, since there is no prevention, there are no tests that we can do To kind of help us um, determine if somebody is at risk for developing vasculitis, is sort of just being vigilant about the symptoms, is is a good yeah and being kind of self-aware
0: of your body, you know, knowing when okay something is wrong, I should see a doctor.
1: And also, I think that you bring up a good point. Being self-aware and and aware of your body is a very important uh, uh, way to. Uh, try to diagnose these conditions and sometimes it could be nothing serious and you can be just reassured by uh, by a provider but also if you feel like your symptoms are getting worse and they're not getting addressed don't kind of take the answer that nothing is wrong and um, just just live you have to live with it keep looking and maybe um, ask a different provider uh, that um, or or have, a good relationship with your existing provider when you can come to them and say, look, I feel things are getting worse and maybe we should revisit um, some of the symptoms.
0: Yeah, really be a a self-advocate. I feel like a lot of times doing this podcast and talking with different doctors like yourself, one of the biggest takeaways is always being an advocate for yourself because you obviously know when you don't feel well.
1: That's very true. However, I think communicating with your provider Mm -hmm. is also... A key because we sometimes we just develop symptoms that do go away on their own. And sometimes we don't need to start with massive blood work and imaging tests because sometimes that also does more harm than does good. Then we find things that then we kind of need to do more tests and, and it just snowballs. So sometimes it's okay to wait and see if symptoms get better or not jump to doing multiple tests at Th- at the moment symptoms start, but at the same time, if you feel like symptoms are not improving, they're getting worse, new symptoms are showing up, you should be able to f- to feel comfortable to talk to your primary care provider um, or any medical practitioner to say, look, I think things are not improving and let's look into it a little bit more.
0: What else would you like to share with our listeners about vasculitis, if anything?
1: I just want people to know that there are treatments uh, that early diagnosis and um, looking for an opinion from um, a rheumatologist or a professional who's experienced in uh, treating vasculitis um, is very important. So finding it's also a multidisciplinary type of um, treatment plan that we need to come up with, because oftentimes it's not just treated by a rheumatologist, depending on what body organs are involved. Uh, We work together with uh, the lung doctors, the kidney doctors, the heart doctors, dermatologists, neurologists, to kind of come up with the best treatment plan. And that treatment doesn't only consist of medications. So once people start taking medications, uh, these medications lower their immune system, so we need to make sure people are vaccinated, that they get their cancer screening, appropriate age-appropriate cancer screening in a timely manner, that uh, they get physical therapy, respiratory therapy, trying to uh, mitigate the symptoms and help them recover better, and all of these things are very important, not just taking the medication. Another thing I want to say is that often we see in rheumatologic diseases because these are chronic diseases and people can get them in their 20s, 30s. Sometimes children can get them. And we're talking about 50, 60 years of taking medications on a regular basis. That's really hard. So having good support system, having people in your life who are really involved and can help you get through when you don't feel like taking the medications or if you're not feeling well and need some help with your daily routine, it's very important to have good support. And we see over and over again that people who have good support do much better than people who are trying to do it alone. So looking for ways to help out and understand it's a chronic condition people they're in the long for a long run and um and need to think about it because sometimes people feel like they're they're better so they don't need to take the medications but sometimes the reason they are feeling better is because the medications are working so then people who stop the medications can relapse and so medications can be stopped and this could be discussed and and there's some risks um there's some risk involved but it needs to be a discussion between the person with the disease and um, their physician to do it safely.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And for them to have a support group, it just support is such a big deal and such an important aspect in, in everyone's kind of health care. So that's definitely important.
1: Agreed. And And in this day and age, there are lots of local support groups, uh, more global support groups on social media, Mm -hmm, um, on Google, Um, you have to be careful and kind of um, make sure that the support groups kind of suit your needs. And some people like to talk about their disease and know about the worst case scenarios. And some people want to avoid it because then they start seeing all these symptoms uh, manifesting in, in their condition as well. So you really need to maybe try sometimes several support groups to find the one that fits what you're looking for.
0: Awesome. Well, it was great to have you here today, Dr. Birder.: Thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. If you have a topic you'd like for us to cover, submit your ideas on hmh4u.org backslash podcast. Your suggestion could be included in the You Ask For It special episodes. The material provided through this Help You podcast is intended to be used as general information only and should not replace the advice of your physician. Always consult your physician for individual care.